Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Alexi the Greek. And I'm Ryan Cooper. So we're running a rerun for our, our Christmas break here. Um, one of our, our fan favorite episodes about It's a Wonderful Life, a classic um, yeah. Christmas. My favorite film. Yeah, a classic Christmas movie. Everyone loves it. Most people at least. Um, and uh, yeah, so we just wanted to wish everyone a, a happy holidays. Merry War right. on Christmas. Um, <laughs> and hope that you're, uh, you know, staying uh, healthy and well. And yeah. Have a good uh, 2023. Absolutely. Hope the holidays are good to all of you. And we really appreciate you. We really hope that uh, that this is a time that gives everybody what they need, whether it's rest, time with family, friends. Um, yeah. So if you haven't heard this episode, hope you enjoy it. If you have, might enjoy listening to it again. Um, but but either way, we'll, we'll see you in the next episode after this one. Yeah. Oh, and one last thing. I'm going to post a link in the episode description to an essay by Claire Coffey about uh, a friend of the pod about It's a Wonderful Life and Mary in particular that I think captures a part of the film that we didn't notice at the time, but it's very, very Excellent. good. I highly recommend it. That's a, it's also a great Christmas read. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Claire. Fantastic. Good, good looking out there, Ryan. And uh, oh, we should probably tell people about the American Prospect for those that don't know on the off chance. Yeah. Yeah, this uh, podcast sponsored by the American Prospect. Subscribe at $10 a month, get a free digital subscription and a discounted print subscription or $5 a month will get you just our uh, uh, bonus episodes. But Our vast, vast collection of bonus We have episodes. quite a few of them at this point. <laughs> um, but other than that, you could just rate, review or listen, whatever you want. And uh, we appreciate any feedback or downloads that you happen to give us so happy holidays again and we'll be seeing you in 2023 but he did help a few people get out of your slums mr potter and what's wrong with that probably here you're all businessmen here don't it make them better citizens doesn't make them better customers you you said that they what'd you say just a minute ago they they had to wait and save their money before they even thought of a decent home wait wait for what until their children grow up and leave them, until they're so old and broken down that they... Do you know how long it takes a working man to save $5,000? Just remember this, Mr. Potter, that this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him, but to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. I'm not interested in your book. I'm talking about the building and loan. I know very well what you're talking about. You're talking about something you can't get your fingers on, and it's galling you. That's what you're talking about, I know. Well, I, I, I've said too much. I, you're, the, you're the board here. You do what you want with this thing. There's just one thing more, though. This town needs this measly one-horse institution, if only to have some place where people can come without crawling to Potter. Come on. Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Alexi the Greek. And I'm Ryan Cooper. Uh, we're here today with a special holiday episode about um, one of our, uh, I think both of our, uh, among our favorite movies, we should say, maybe Alexi's favorite of all time, but true. Um, an American classic, which, you know, I, I grew up watching this every Christmas. You know, it's it's one that that's like broadcast um, you know, I think on a network 
television. It was a real tradition there, but you know, it's a wonderful life. Like every, everybody, I think just about has seen it at least once, if not more than once. And I, I think it, um, it, it, it really holds up. And I think, you know, my, it's one of the few movies that I've seen since I was a kid. When I was a kid, I really liked it. I thought it was a great film. Uh, and I think it, it it's only grown in my esteem as time has gone on. And I've understood some of the, some of the nuances and the basic like message of the film has only become more and more relevant over the years. And, uh, yeah, we, we, uh, rewatched it a couple of days ago. Um, and, um, yeah, it, it just, uh, it, it, it captures something, you know, it's, it's almost m- most brutal of all. I think, you know, we'll get into it watching it during the pandemic and during the presidency of Donald Trump and the way that it illustrates so much, uh, so many like, like parts of the fabric of American society that used to be there, you know, in some way or another, um, you know, the, the, the thing used to function a lot better than it does today. And, um, it really drives home how much is missing, um, in, uh, in our, in our, uh, our, our crumbling imperial monstrosity. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you about it as soon as I can get my cat off my notes here. <laughs> well, I don't, and I certainly don't want to suggest that, um, you know, as with many classic films, there's the caveat that that uh, this this is not in the spirit of make America great again, as if there's an atavistic desire to go back to a kind of Eden that that existed or something. And it's it's not about that because no. um, you know, as we've talked about, whether it was the New Deal and kind of certain kind of racist compromises that had to come with it, uh, you know, our, our history as a country has always been fraught. But but more as a as a film that that has a message and captures a kind of spirit and a kind of um, understanding of of how humanity and society and um political action really should uh should function to to serve people and to serve uh kindness and 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 love and sacrifice rather than than greed and and corruption and ugliness uh i think it's kind of you know, a, a poignant and, and meaningful film to capture a certain kind of Christmas spirit that, uh, in, in, in the depths of the pandemic, there have been a lot of beautiful, uh, sacrificial, uh, things that have been done by people, but also a lot of kind of ugliness and, and of course, of course, the failure of the, of the state in so many ways that's reflected a kind of ugliness and a kind of corrupted spirit that is the opposite of, uh, the Christmas spirit that, uh, that I think provides a, a good basis for discussion about what this film can, could teach us today and why, at least for me, it was quite an emotional experience to, to rewatch it. Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe, you know, with some kind of like introductory mar- remarks out of the way, um, we we could, you know, kind of go through it. May, you know, maybe folks haven't seen it or maybe they they haven't seen it in a long time. Right. Um, go over the plot. But kind yeah. Of the, you know, so so it's about a, a fellow named George Bailey. He's the protagonist. George Bailey's the son of a. uh I guess you call him a, a financier. He's a, he's a savings and loan. Yeah, guy. Yeah. He, he runs a savings and loan. Those things used to be much more common back in the day, but you know, basically taking money from, uh, taking money from savers and lending it out, doing your classic financial intermediation and, um, uh, to, to, to build homes. And, uh, you know, he, he, he this, this fellow George's father, 
uh, is always struggling against a, you know, capitalist banker named Mr. Potter, um, who, who starts the movie when, when George is very young, um, as like an old guy with white hair in a wheelchair and ends the movie as the exact same old guy in white hair, you know, just sort of like the, the ageless capitalist who's always the same and who never has any scruples, uh, ever. But so, you know, basically, you know, George has to, uh, you know, spoiler alert, George has all these big ambitions, (laughs) ambitions. Um, he wants to go to college. He wants to travel the world and he keeps Mm -hmm. not being able to do that because things in his, his hometown, Bedford falls, if, uh, I forgot to mention the circumstance keeps pulling him back. He wants to go to Europe and then his father dies and he has to like clean up affairs. And then, you know, he makes this noble speech saying, don't give the building alone to, to Mr. Potter because he's just going to turn it into this like slumlord thing. And then they say, okay, but you have to run it. And so he has to give that up. And then his brother comes back and he, and you know, he's going to marry this, this uh, lady whose father's going to give him a great job. And so, um, uh, and he, meanwhile, and back back up a second because meanwhile he let his brother go to college right, because yes. there wasn't enough money. There wasn't enough money for both of them to go to college, so so he put off for four years working at the savings and loan, right, yes. so his brother could go right. Uh, and, and then his brother was supposed to take over when he came back, but because he got married, his his new father in law offered him this new job and an opportunity, and and so George again defers to the good of his of his brother and gives up his his dream once again, right? A yeah. recurring thing. He never goes to college. He marries his, you know, a a high school sweetheart or, you know, a a, a local girl. They live in a sort of drafty old house, you know, that she fixes up. And, you know, it's it's a a tale of sort of frustrated ambition. Right. You know, there's there's many more details to it. Um, But, you know, George is a guy who or sort of grew up on tales of adventure there as a kid, they show him, you know, reading national geographic and, and right. he, you know, he's right. making all these plans. He wants to do something big. There's a scene where a, a critical scene, actually, I think where he's talking to his father uh, before mm-hmm. he dies and telling him, you know, it's like, if I, if I had to spend my whole life trying to save three cents on a length of pipe, I think I'd bust. Yep. You know, right, and his right. dad's like, well, in a small way, I think we're doing a bit of good, you know, and I think that Matt yeah, and and, uh, you know, he gets roped into basically doing the same thing as his father did. And, uh, you know, that's sort of where it stands. There's a famous like like the 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 big uh, conflict in the plot comes when um, George's. A uh, business po- uh, partner, Uncle Billy, loses. He is a notoriously forgetful guy, like basically incompetent. Business. A drunk. Yeah, yeah d- drinks too much. Can't remember anything. Uh, he loses eight thousand dollars. He accidentally gives it to Mister Potter, who of course keeps it. Um, mm-hmm. And then you know the bank examiner is going to come. By by the way, isn't that a quaint little thing? Imagine a bank examiner coming and immediately finding when someone has an eight thousand dollar loss that they can't explain. <laughs> yeah. That like, oh, you're yeah. going to go to jail because you broke the law as a banker. But wow. It, is, isn't is, but is it isn't isn't there something quite accurate though about how like the people with less like La- Lady Fortune seems to screw them over, whereas the yeah. Potters of the world, the Potters 
stars of the world are not only like mendacious and actually bad actors and contributing to the harm of and of oppressing and miserating people, but but they are not caught when he. I mean, he basically stole the eight thousand dollars, right? He basically he did. like. Yeah, yeah. He he got it by by accident, but he, you know, it, it, it's like you found a wallet on the street or something and and you picked it up and you knew who it was and yeah. you didn't give it back. I mean, that's no different from taking it. Yeah. Um and, and instead he uses that misfortune of Uncle Billy in order to set up George Bailey, uh who of course, of course in in, in like George fashion, um you just immediately takes the blame, right, for the missing money. Yeah. Well, that, he he tells Uncle Billy that he's, you know, it's like some this means scandal in prison and somebody's going to yeah. pay for this and it's not going to be me, but then he uh, takes yeah. he he takes it on no, his shoulders. It, yeah. And yeah, yeah. So he's going to kill himself. He's thinking about killing himself because he has a life insurance policy. And then this angel comes down and the angel flings himself into the into this river, you know, or on the bridge where he's standing at, knowing that George's, you know, selflessness will kick in and he'd jump in and save him because that's what he does. He can't help himself. Um, George says he wishes that he'd never been born. And um, the angel grants his wish and he sees what would have been what would have become of Bedford Falls had he never been born. And the answer right. is that, like, he... Uh, uh, Bedford Falls uh, got the shock doctrine neoliberalism done to it. Yeah, it's Pottersville. It's, yeah. It became Pottersville. It yeah. became Pottersville. It's run as an economic dictatorship. It's a very harsh and unforgiving place. This is a Cruel. little yeah. bit uh, uh, sort of cliched in the way that it's presented because it's all like, ah, speakeasies and girls, girls, girls and dancing. And it's like, oh, this is, you know, so it's like. The, the indications of, of what, of what me, what, uh, you know, sort of bad society means is a little bit out of date, but what they're gesturing sure. at, what Capra, Frank, Frank Capra, the director, I haven't mentioned that either. He's gesturing at is this is a, this is a place where like the social contract has been destroyed deliberately and yes. people don't look out for each other anymore. And sure. it's all about like short term hedonism and the fuck the poor. And we don't care about anyone but ourselves and our, you know, our short term kicks. Well, and frankly, the, the causation is pretty easy to see because no one, the Baileys basically were the only force that countered Potter's ability to basically like neoliberalism destroy every social fabric and to take over every institution, um, in town. Right. And, and so like you, you could easily say, well, of course Potter would have the speakeasy and the girls, girls, girls and all, cause those are the things that would make the money. Right. Like yeah. it, it's purely, it's purely because these are the things that would create a lot of consumption, particularly in a way that would be high profit margins. It just so happens that those very kinds of things would also destroy certain relationships and small businesses and certain ways of life. Life um, that that happened to, to coincide with c kind of corroding the soul at the same time and and becoming more like Potter in in the in the doing of it right um, but but so so you have this this image of a whole city and then again this this brings me back to like Plato's Republic like the the the, the soul in the city is like a microcosm and macrocosm and so this the, the Pottersville is just like a macrocosm of uh, what happens to to certain individuals that become unrecognizable to George. 
uh, and who they've become, right? And, and they're still the same people, but because he wasn't in their lives and because he didn't influence other people who influenced them, you know, you see how like you pull the thread, right? And that like dissembles, right? It, it just kind of tears apart, like you say, the social fabric in a way. Um, and, and it's this dystopian vision that I think is, is really terrifying, but I think convincing to me. Yeah. Anyway. No, we live in Pottersville now. Our society mm-hmm. sucks in the same way that Pottersville sucks, basically. And, yeah. and I think the interesting thing is that it's, it's not a, the politics of it are not Marxist in any real sense, but it is a kind of like economic determinist picture of society. Um, you know, the, it, it, it says, you know, with this counterfactual that everyone's character is to a very great degree, uh, downstream of their economic circumstances. So for example, he, he talks about the, uh, the, or the, the, the character of the taxi driver, Ernie, um, he, uh, uh, ends up, you know, he's a taxi driver in both realities, but he, and he's, uh, uh, lives in a shack and his wife left him with the kid and he's now a suspicious, right. uh, you know, sort of okay. paranoid guy, uh, Nick, the bartender, um, in the first reality, he, he is, uh, you know, he, he's an employee of, uh, the immigrant fellow Martini. Martini. And he's a sort of kindly bartender. You know, he, he looks after um, uh, George when he's having a bad time and he's praying to God to help him out. Um, when In the other reality, he's this like hard bitten, like just sort of whiskey mm-hmm. salesman. And the fact of like the sort of his ownership position in the social context of just like serving, you know, a bunch of like, uh, you know, hard bitten people has made him into an asshole you know, who, who yep. throws George out um, more. Right. Because the, the establishment, right, is a reflection of what's required in Pottersville. And what's yeah. required in Pottersville is to have a place like as as Nick says, to, to serve hard liquor to men who want to get drunk fast. Yep. And why do they want to get drunk fast? Because life fucking sucks. Yep. Right. And so if you have to fill the market need for that, then you become the kind of hard person who serves hard liquor for, for depressed people. And that makes you a fucking asshole, too. Yep. Right. Bert, the cop. Bert the cop goes from like Nordic policeman who is basically looking after everybody. The guy who sang outside of George's window with Ernie, the taxi driver, Bert and Ernie. That's very funny. I'm not sure if that, if Sesame street comes from that or if that's just a coincidence. I think so. I, I, I kind of assume, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, he like a guy who like, uh, you know, the, the cliched policeman, the guy who like gets, cats down from trees and stuff like that into a modern policeman who is always pulling his gun, who's beating the shit out of people. He literally, he he literally shoots. He opens fire on George Bailey in the middle of town. Yeah. In a crowded street, people are like ducking and covering. I mean, it's disturbingly relevant. I know. I know. I I looked at that. I looked at that. I'm like, oh, this is accurate. This is this is actually like this is today. Uh, and he's like manhandling. Um, uh, was it Violet? Right. He's manhandling yeah. uh, Violet, who he's he obviously knows. She's she's a known entity in town, and he's like throwing her into the paddy wagon. Yeah. Um, Uncle Billy is in a insane asylum. Insane asylum. Lack of decent employment and no place to go. He lost his business obviously because he could not compete with Potter. 
and that was the end of his, you know, his mental health. I think, it, you know, you could draw it out, but that, that sort of like gets the, the drives a point home that, uh, um, you know, the, the social fabric, you know, it, 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 it is tenuous. It, right? Well, it's like, all about like, like, you know, what, what people are doing on a day-to-day basis and what they are doing, you know, um, in a, you know, majority or something of their waking lives is economic stuff. They're going to work, they're buying things. And so the character of your economic uh, relations is incredibly influential in, in how, you know, your society ends up, uh, being right and you're formed by it yeah exactly and so i thought you know that that is like a really radical uh type even though you know it's not marxist i would say it's it's not i don't know if you'd say it's it's definitely populist yeah populist antitrust anti-monopoly i think would be i I mean i i think it certainly has socialist principles at the core of the message right so it depends depends how you define socialism but but like socialism or social democratic principles are certainly at the core of what it's describing and, and imaging right yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This, like a basic egalitarian impulse. That's at the, I mean, that is the heart of kind of socialism. Like in my, in my view, like we're, we're doing, we're doing like economic production. Everybody should share in that. Um, but you know, it, but it's more, it's, it's deeper than that though, right? Cause it's not just talking about like taxation and distribution. It's talking about like the way that the economic mode of production bleeds into subject formation and social relations yeah, sure. and, and actually, right. So, so in a sense, it is quite Marxist in a certain sense, right? Like in terms of the depth of analysis that it's, it's, it's reaching beyond just like, oh, inequality is bad because people are poor. You could, right. It's, it, it's saying like it's a spiritual transformation that occurs. Right? Yeah. You, you could say it's a Marxist. Marxist Brandeisian, you know, uh, uh, sure. type of yeah, synthesis, yeah, right. um, be- sure. because of the political economy, you know, they're not talking about the welfare state necessarily. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's, but it, battling Potter, but battle, battling this monopoly, right. Battling right. this, but which is also a metaphor though, for a certain kind of capitalist ethos, I think. Yeah. Right. I mean, d- the, the capitalist ethos, the capitalist, VK, yeah, but exactly. Just, the profit is all that matters. It's it's about yes. returns, oh. and, f- and there's a great scene where he's talk. Uh, Potter is talking with. I'll, I'll have to splice in a bunch of scenes where where Potter's talking yeah. with the board uh, or what? No, he's talking with the the, the father, and right, the, right. you know the father's saying like, "Well, you can't put people out on the street," and. And he says, right. they're, yes. they're not my children. You know, it's like, they're, they're somebody's children. <laughs> they're somebody's children. <laughs> yeah. 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 Are you running a business well, I, I, or a charity ward? <laughs> well, no. And he has contempt for the Baileys. He thinks because as, as the capitalist, he thinks they're weak. Like, there's almost this Darwinistic kind of makes me think of Corey Robin on, on Nietzsche and Hayek and, and, and kind of like the Darwinian approach to, to evaluating things like, you know, Potter just thinks that the Baileys are weak. They yeah. hardly make a profit. They, they, they just, they give their friends loans because they're their friends. You know, what kind of yeah. way to run a business is that? Right. Um, meanwhile, he has no compunction about defrauding, stealing, whatever you have to do. Um, but the, but the true, like, protagonist and antagonist conflict is, is the Baileys and then George Bailey, especially, but it, it's kind of like Star Wars, you know, uh, in, in a certain way, right? Because, because like, 
the, the scene, there's a scene with the, the, the father at the table. It's the same scene, I think. Um, well, I don't actually remember if it's the same scene, but it's a scene where, uh, you know, George asks what the problem with Potter is. And, and his father basically says, you know, he hates everyone because he, he, he can't stand, uh, other people having what he doesn't have. He wants what other people have. Yeah. And he, and he said, and then he says, and then he says he's a sick man. Then he says, uh, I guess he hates us most of all. Right. And so I thought that was a really revealing thing. Okay. So he, he hates people who have what he doesn't have. And that means he hates the Baileys most of all. And so what do the Baileys have that he doesn't have? Right. Like, so, so like love, care for others, you know, the opposite of, of egocentrism, narcissism, greed, and, and, and just a thirst for that, the tyrannical spirit, the thirst just for your own power and, and aggrandizement and wealth. Um, and, and he doesn't know what it, what it, would be like to care for others and to be outward uh, driven. And, and that, that's this, this light and dark contrast. And I think it's a, a figurative um, contrast between what I would say, socialist principles versus capitalist principles, everyone out for themselves, right. A- atomized, um, you know, the profit motive. Uh, if everyone just seeks their own good, that will, the invisible hand will jerk everyone off or whatever uh, versus, uh, <laughs> versus, versus, versus a socialist principle. And what George Bailey, despite him saying at all these frustrating moments, and, and I think you're a bit unfair to George because you say he keeps being like kept back. And that takes away, I think, a little bit of his agency because there's yeah. these moments where he cho- he chooses every time. Right. He chooses yep. his agency is enacted. And he because as much as he, he gets frustrated and shakes Uncle Billy and says, it's not going to be me going to jail. He actually knows that he's the guy that will go to jail because that's who he is. And, and, and just because he says you know, all I want, he, he like shakes Mary at one point, his, his, his love interest, you know, all I want is to do what I want to do, right? I want to do what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the, tr- the truth is who he is, is someone who actually wants to do what other people need and, and what other people, um, want, right? Because he wants to serve. That, that's who he is. Um, yeah. and, and that's, that's the beautiful dichotomy. And you see the kind of world shaped by people who, who ultimately care more for service and for others and for the community than they do for their own good, that produces Bedford Falls. And those that actually, no matter how smart or powerful they are, just seek their own good, that that turns into Pottersville. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that this the story of the 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 the, the character arc of George is him basically be becoming reconciled with his own deepest motivation, which is to serve yes. others. And yes. you know, in the in the in the course of that, uh, you know, be served by them, like to be part of a, a yes, there's a reciprocity. Yeah. yeah. An important scene we haven't mentioned yet is the bank run. Um, really, you know, quite, quite a great, um, you know, depiction of how bank runs happen before the FDIC, um, made them, you know, eradicated them basically from, from normal banking operations at least. And, um, you know, so there's a run on the bank and then that spreads to the building and loan. People, yeah. you know, have a liquidity fear. And so they all come to get their money out of the building and loan at the same time. And George has to explain, you know, we don't have that much cash here at the bank, at the building and loan. In fact, with the bank already took all of it, you know, because the, the, you know, the, they called in a loan. And, um, so, you know, they're, they, 
you know, the, the money's not here. He says uh, it's over in, you know, the Mrs. Yes, your money. house, you know, we're, we're, yes, we're, exactly. we're putting your money to work as, as uh, FDR said in his first fireside chat. Um, and so he, they, they're going to run and they're going to go to Potter. Who's going to pay them 50 cents on the dollar for all their shares and take right. over the building and loan. And George talks right. them out of it. Um, yes. And the, the, uh, oh, right. And then he has to, uh, uh, his wife volunteers their honeymoon money to yes. tide everyone over until the bank reopens For a week. in a week. It, yes. And so ba- yes. he gives uh, another thing he gives up, gives up yes. willingly. This is honeymoon. Yeah. Yes. And in that moment, which is very interesting, he is excited to do it. He's like, yes, yes we got, thrilled. I got $2,000, you know? And, um, but the, but the reciprocity angle of that also comes through because there's one guy who's selfish and he says, I want everything. I want $242 and that's not going to break anybody false that he almost does break. Yes, that's right. But, but, um, because they, they, they end up with $2 only, right? right? Yeah. And then a couple of people yeah. later, they're going through turns. There's like, you know, 40 or 50 people in the building and loan, yeah. and they're yeah. sharing out this yeah. 2000 bucks. And a couple of people down right. the line, there's a woman who says, can I have 1750 You know? Right. And uh, George kisses her. And it's that, you know, it's like, oh, that's a nice little thing. But then, yes, yeah, as you say, they have $2 left. If she had yes. not done if she because people right before her asked for twenty dollars twenty dollars yeah. if she'd just gone for us because he asked how much do you really need for a week yeah in, in other words in the spirit of realizing that this institution serves all of us your money is in his house your money is in her house and if we fall then potter will create you know these you know, terrible houses that he will charge you all kinds of these slums. And, and if you want to avoid the slums, we have to band together. And, and if she had been unthinking and, and not really calculated what she needed, if she, maybe she sacrificed a little, then, then, then everything would have fallen apart. Right. So yeah. it's, it's not just, it's not just George who, who has the threat if you pull it, if he doesn't do things. It's so many people, if they don't, if they don't do the thing that, that, that actually serves others and, and recognizes the interdependence then everything could fall apart in that moment right yeah and then and this i think uh another you know kind of message of the film is that heroism individually is much exaggerated in the popular imagination you know because george george really you know he wants to be like a big guy he wants you know he has this idea in his head engineer and architect he wants to build things yeah yeah be great a great man yeah um and the the film is kind of undercutting that. It's saying that, you know, mm-hmm. not necessarily that those things don't happen, that there aren't like figureheads, but that all those figureheads are a social creation. They all depend on, you know, infinite layers of people beneath them who are doing, mm-hmm. you know, all these, you know, different things. And, you know, it's that that comes through in the in the the lady who only asked for 1750. Um, mm-hmm. It comes through in in how, um, you know. The Bert and Ernie uh, go and, you know, sing to sing to George on his wedding night after he sacrifices his honeymoon to, you know, save the the building alone. Uh, And it comes through in the story of his brother, uh, uh, Harry, who ends up as a he's like a war hero. 
he he goes to war in World War II and he gets the, you know, he, he saves, he, he becomes a fighter pilot and he shoots down a bunch of German planes and saves a transport full of people. And, um, you know, it, it ends up, uh, he gets a Congressional Medal of Honor. That's right. And, and, uh, but late, but earlier in the film, you learned that when he was a little boy, he fell in an icy hole in a, a yes. stream and almost drowned. That's and right. George saved him at the cost of his own his life. hearing, which is hearing what prevented him prevented go, George. from going to war. Exactly. So, so he can't be a war hero. And, and, and also remember that Sam Wainwright, his high school buddy becomes rich and offered him to get in on the ground floor. And, and because of his obligations to Bedford Falls, he also couldn't do that. And he would have been rich if he had done that. Yeah. Right? Instead, he suggests that Wainwright should locate the factory in Bedford Falls yes. at an old tool yes. works that has been abandoned. instead of, instead of, yeah, instead of Rochester. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. so in the, when, when, when George is shown the alternate history by the angel Clarence, um, the it's, it's, it's shown that Harry Bailey died when he was nine, he drowned mm-hmm. in the, in the river. And so all the people on the transport died and none of those planes were shot down. Be, you know, because, uh, uh, George wasn't there to save him when he needed to be saved. And so it's, it's like that we really, you know, American culture has a tendency to, to valorize the individual, the individual hero, but it's, it's every single person who's ever existed is, an, is just, you know, the figure, like the result of this inescapable network of dependency. And, yes. um, yes. even especially maybe the, the ones, the most obvious, most prominent people who, who get the most attention, you know, and have the most money and yes. success, they are the ones who have the biggest and most elaborate support networks. Now the, the film ends, get this right. The film ends with, um, George, first of all, not caring that he might go to jail with him, not caring about anything and embracing uh, the beautiful life that he's had and, and his joy that everyone is as happy and healthy as they are. And sure, he gets rescued by everyone giving the money at the end. But notice that his brother, Harry, right, gives up his own parade and his own celebration to join the celebration for George. And and, and Sam Wainwright wires up to $25,000, right? And and the, the hero businessman, not just Potter, who is the kind of crony capitalist or whatever, but Sam Wainwright, the, the kind of all-American good guy who just really, you know, built his own fortune from the ground up, right? And, and as as... As good a guy as you can imagine. So, so that kind of capitalist, that kind of, of entrepreneur and the war hero, the war hero and Sam are coexisting in this scene with George Bailey, where it is pronounced the cheer at the end is to George Bailey, the richest man in town. Right. So, so, so the person, the person actually to be valorized is not the war hero. It's not even the good capitalist. It's George Bailey, right? The friend to man. Yeah. Because, you know, he's a guy who is most dedicated to looking after his fellow citizens and that the true citizen. That's it. That's the word citizen. He's a citizen. He's not a you know, he's not a guy who does great deeds necessarily, but he's a guy like like in the in a sort of cliched sense or in a sense of like, right, you right. know, adventure books. Superhuman. He he's yeah. just doing the 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 tiny, small kindnesses and um you know, little, little, uh, sacrifices yeah, to, right. To, to, to preserve the sort of social fabric and try to, try to cut in, you know, the, 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 
like ordinary person on a on a sh- in a share of the economic prosperity created by the community. Um, and it's unglamorous most of the time and unrewarding. Oh, wait, wait. We forgot he turned down an offer. So so again, Potter realizes that the only thing standing in his way to basically monopolizing the whole town is the Baileys and George Bailey specifically. And so he's like, okay, you know what? I'm going to bribe him. And so he he basically tries to buy him and says, you know what? I want you to run everything for me. I'll pay you $20,000 a year. When when he already in the buildup to this basically figured out that maybe uh, George Bailey's making 40 bucks. George says, no, 45 bucks a week. Yeah. And, and then he says, he says, okay, so you're pocketing maybe 10 bucks a week. Now, once kids come along, you'll pocket nothing. Um, and he offers him $20,000 a year, right? A th- three year contract starting today. Boom. Right. Yeah. And, and he, re- and, and he gets enticed by it. This is the classic temptation, right? Of the devil. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, and he, and he, right. And so he, he starts to, to really like, to think about how great life would be to actually finally have uh, some relief from the stress and the crises and, and, and actually have, you know, the, the travel to Europe and all that. But then just his conscience kicks back in and he rejects it. And, and so, so like time and time again, you have somebody who's, as you say, his, his evolution is to find out his, what his d- deepest desire really is because who he is, is in his commitments to his family, his friends, his community, um, to, to, to serving justice as against, uh, those powers that would immiserate the, the, those, um, those ugly, people like Potter, uh, who would try to take away the, the simple ability for people to live with dignity and with a home that that's a nice home that, that doesn't, you know, crush them. And, 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 and these are the simple, so socialism is a vision of, um, you know, as Corey Robin wrote in, in the title to one of his pieces, right. Uh, converting hysterical, uh, misery into ordinary unhappiness or something like that. Yeah. I'm probably mixing up the, the, but, but like some, something that gives you that, that impression that it's, it's like, just like let people have basic dignity and ability to live and cultivate friendships and relationships and not be just under the boot of, of, of the, the kind of immiserating capitalist. Right. And, and that simple, like, um, moral courage to step in and, and say, nope, this is not okay. I guess I'm the one that has to be here to fight for justice. I don't want to. I would rather, I'm not here for glory. I would rather go travel the world. But, but at the core, I can't deny my love of other and my love of community and family and my being bound up in relationships. And then the reciprocity that flows from that to show that, that he's the richest man in town, that, that he has a wonderful life because of those commitments and those relationships that were concretized, uh, throughout that time and throughout those crises. Um, it's, it's a beautiful message of how, how simple the good life can really be and, and how all the extravagance of a complicated capitalist world and all the ambitions that it tries to foster, uh, are, are really just, Boy, temptation towards a really corrupted, uh, ugly life, and and one that I, I think I cried throughout most of this film this time because <laughs> I got I got to say I haven't I don't, this never happened to me before I think it's because of the pandemic and everything I just like I must have just been viscerally reacting to to the the basic goodness um, that has been so destroyed um, by 
you know, by capitalism and by the structures that, that form the people that we live amongst today. And, and there are, there are kind of these pockets of, of beauty and goodness, but it's just, it's, it's so sad to see how simple um, the good life is, how, how simple devotion to your community, to your family, to others, and, and, and how the, the kind of principles of sacrifice and basic moral courage um, have been just so destroyed and, and seem like such a utopia. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that scene you mentioned uh, is, is one reason why I think, you know, it's, is a great film because George is a pretty, is a fairly complicated character. You know, he, he has this deep, you know, desire to help others, but he's also, you know, he's not a saint. Um, right. You know, he, right. he, he gets angry. He's resentful over, you know, his own sort totally. of dreams being thwarted. He's proud, um, you know, and that, you know, that it, it, it harms him in some ways, but it also saves him in some ways. And that, and in that scene with Potter, it really kind of comes out that, you know, his, his, his pride and his anger is what saves him, you know, because he looks at, at the idea of, of Potter and it's like, it's sorely tempting. It's like, boy, wouldn't this be great? And then he gets pissed. He's like, fuck that's this, right. you know, and he yes. yells that's at Thumos. Him. That's by the way, that's what Thumos is, by the way. Yeah. Thumos is that part of the soul that gets angry at injustice. Yeah. Right? That it's like, I yeah. won't be bought. I'm going to keep my dignity, even if it keeps me poor and living in this shitty house and not have, not being able to yeah. buy my kids all the best stuff because fuck you. I'm, you know, like I'm not going to be, I, I'm, I'm not a pound of fish at the market, um, you know, yeah. for sale at the, at the uh, low not price. to be, not to be instrumentalized. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, um, you know, that, that it, 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 it comes out like, like when, when he's at his lowest point, when he's going to, uh, when he's co considering suicide and, and, you know, he's, he's lost his money and he's just yelling at his kids. It's like, you, you, you see the, the downside of the, the, the temper coming out, but it's, it's yep. like, ah, human beings right. are like this, you know, he's not a, yep. he's not a cruel man. But, but it's, yeah. he's a real, a real person, you know, and a real person who, when he's under tremendous strain, uh, you know, isn't, isn't it, isn't a, you know, sort of Christ-like figure, um, and well, no, has to learn. And, and not only that, yeah, not only that, but he couldn't, like, he came home having just bore the brunt of this news that Uncle Billy fucked it up. And now he, w without talking to anyone, you know, he's going to just go to jail for Uncle Billy. And and he's not even going to reveal this to his yeah. wife. He's just like unable to communicate what's wrong with his day. He's just internally processing it. Very right? 1940s and yet, masculine type of problem. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And, yet, and yet when his wife like correctly gets mad at him for like his temper tantrum and upsetting the children – you see his face when his wife, he thinks obviously turns on him. And that was the last. So for me, it broke my heart because I was like, okay, the last straw was that his wife got mad at him on this day that he yeah. was having. And he's like, he okay. knew it was his fault. Yeah. He fucked up. Yeah. He yeah, took it yeah, out on his yeah. wife and kids and he and was right. like, I got to get out of here. No, and so he bought into this lie that his, his it was better for him to be dead than alive. And, and then when Clarence comes along, he says, "Okay, maybe that's not true. Maybe it's just better if I'd never been born, right?" 
Um, and I think there's something to how we can be blinded, right? How trauma um, can blind us to to the good that we have and what we've done, and and um, and it distorts things. Yeah, you know. And you, you could say you could say in that moment, you know that that's the um, sort of final little piece of uh, the 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 reciprocity coming back again. You know, because he doesn't ask for help, uh, it, even when he needs it. But his wife goes out and talks to Uncle Billy, figures out what the problem is. And she, you know, she scours all over yes. town looking for money. Yes. And then that. And so does everyone else. Brings, so does yeah, everyone else. That brings yeah. the entire town. Even the, right. uh, the greedy guy from the bank run who uh, wanted his $242. He comes in to give That's some right. money. Um, yeah. And so. That's right. That's right. Yeah. The, the, and once he is now, like, to be fair to George, to be fair to George, he's at Martini's right before he tries to commit suicide. He does pray. He says, I'm not a praying man, but God show me the way basically. Like, so, so, so I think there is something important to at the end of his rope. He admits he does. He loses the pride. He says, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to do. Help me. After he's, right? after he's left his house. Yeah. He goes. Yeah. Yeah. For a drink. And, and, so, 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 so I, I think, I think there's something important in that because at the bottom, if we can't admit our dependence on others, we're lost. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so, and so he had been the one that others depended on, but at his, at, at the end of his rope, he finally said, I am lost. I need, uh, I need help. Uh, uh, you know, uh, and then he, you know, he, he went to jump off the bridge, but like Clarence, the angel was the response, not to, not just to his prayers, but the prayers of others. Um, and I think there's something important in that, that like, you know, he wasn't the hero of everyone, right? He wasn't the guy who, who thinks I don't need anybody's help. He, he also was at a loss and, and said, you know, I, I don't know what to do. I, I'm at, a, you know, help me. Yeah. And, and then, pe- and then people did, right? He didn't know how to ask. Was a, he's yes. not against it. I mean, because to, to be truly against like the help of others is to be Mr. Potter. Yes, because that's right. you cannot escape interdependency, but what you can do is establish a domination. You you yes. can exploit other people, and you could force yes. them to pro- to produce surplus for your benefit through. This coercion. is why this is why Hegel and then Marx and then Martin Hoglund's all. I mean, the the master slave dialectic basically says that the master is not ever free because he's totally dependent on the slave. Right. And, and, and like, yeah. there, there's a sense, there's a sense in which, a, you know, emancipation is both emancipation for the master and the slave because domination is not actually any kind of freedom at all. And, and the true freedom that we have is in, is in recognizing our interdependence and our dependence and, and, and you know, living into the commitments of those relationships that, that form us and that we depend upon. Um, let, let me read a real, uh, a part of, of the Hogland, uh, this life that I've been thinking about um, after I watched the film, if you don't mind. Sure. So, so Hogland writes here, he says, um, to be clear, the emphasis on my own life or your own life is not in opposition to sociality. As Marx underlines, quote, my own existence is social activity. And therefore, that which I make of myself, I make of myself for society and with the awareness of myself as a social being. Hence, to own your life is not to be independent, but to be able to acknowledge your dependence. A good example is the experience of love. When you love someone, 
a friend, as a parent, as a life partner. Your dependence on the other is not a restriction that prevents you from being free. Rather, your dependence on the other belongs to the life you affirm as your own. Acting on behalf of the one you love is not an alien purpose, but the expression of a commitment in which you can recognize yourself. Since caring for the interests and the well-being of the other is part of your own understanding of who you are. Likewise, if the work you do is for the sake of something you believe in as an end in itself, as it is for me when I teach my classes or when I write this book, then even the difficult or exhausting demands of the work are not an external imposition on a prior freedom. On the contrary, the demands of my students and the difficulties of my writing are an intrinsic part of the form of life to which I am committed. So, so I think, you know, in expounding, expounding his kind of vision of democratic socialism, you see this idea that freedom is in the choices we make and the commitments we make who tell us and define who we are. And those commitments are as much about who to sacrifice for and what to serve and who to do work for. Um, and in choosing those things in our finite life, we actually form ourselves and, and that's where meaning is to be found. And, and, and it's like the discovery of George Bailey in this film is the discovery that, that he all along is someone who had committed to these people, to this community, to these, to these lives. And, 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 you know, him being the richest man at the end who, who, who discovered the meaning of his own life is the discovery of someone who had already done the service, the commitments, and in a way had created a meaningful life and simply had to be aware of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the sort of message of the title, I guess. It's it's a it's a wonderful life. You the 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 angel Clarence says, I think you've you've had a wonderful life, and all he had to do was reconcile himself to that fact. The, and, and once he, once he realizes it, um, you know, the, 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 the perspective changes and, you know, the, the, the community comes to, you know, bail him out basically with, with some money. But even before that happens, he is, you know, completely, uh, you know, his, his, um, attitude has changed entirely and he's, you know, full, full of joy at the prospect of being back, you know, in the real town with his wife and children and so on. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's why I think the, the, the ending, um, you know, it's really one of the most famous endings in all of film, uh, you know, really, uh, a, a classic tearjerker, you know, of course, yes. but I think the reason it sticks so well um, is is for two reasons. Uh, first, it's like pretty; it's well earned. You know, it's like it, you've gone through a lot of shit in the in the. It's like a, it's been a it's been a it's a pretty dark film in many ways. Yes, um, yes, and uh, you know the the ending is 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 optimistic, but it's also it's not like schmaltzy exactly. Uh, no, George is Mm-mm. just like barely escaped. You know, there's realism. He doesn't destroy Potter with a fucking grenade launcher or something. You know, he just barely makes it, you know, and, and Potter isn't, you know, he's hasn't been reconciled with or anything like that. Um, and, and then secondly, I think 
the, it, it points out uh, something that's missing. You know, I, I think it's not a coincidence that so many Americans like react instinctively to this. It's like there's a there's a void in in their own lives that is shaped like a whole big community of people that they all know and trust and care about and would, you know, do, you know, anything to help. That doesn't exist for most people. You know, I think a lot of people, particularly men, don't have a big network of, you know, friends and community and family. You live in fairly anonymous kind of suburbia. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you, you see that and boy, doesn't it sound nice? Wouldn't it be nice to know the people that you see frequently and to be able to like ask, you know, like the, like hundreds of different people for help if you ever needed it. Um, that, that is how things used to work to some degree. Uh, you know, there are always people, always been people left out, especially in this country, but it didn't always used to be that you were anonymous pinballs in the capitalist market space, uh, just sort of going. But don't forget, e- yeah, even even then, the George Bailey's of the world were encouraged by capitalism to have a meaningful life by escaping all of that. Yep. Right. And and, yep. and by saying, you know, by saying, I wish I had a million dollars, hot dog. Right. And and by yep. by like being in- inculcated to think that really what you want is to escape community, get out of this small town, do something great, be the hero of your life. And, and so, so, you know, we still have that, but we don't even have the refuge, uh, of those kind of relationships that, um, you know, in certain communities were, were not yet destroyed by, by global capitalism, um, in, in, in the many ways that they have been since. Right. And, and, and I don't think it's just a temporal thing. I think it's something that we could recapture because the, the principles are the same. You know, the principles of we could have a better life is possible. Do, do you, what, what kind of vision do you have for the good life and, and what does it entail for you and for others? It seems yeah. harder these days. It seems so much harder these days to, to just, well, can, it would be nice to have a group of friends and family that's like literally situated physically in the same area that we can cultivate relationships with and where people are stable and, and like, you know, it, it it is maybe part of why I cried so much during the film, um, but maybe especially in the pandemic where the social fabric being torn apart was so obvious. Um, it's a simple kind of vision, but it's, it is one I think increasingly rare in this country, especially. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing maybe to mention about the, the, the vision here is that it's not like maudlin, you know, small town is good, big town bad type of stuff. You know, you, no. you hear that, yeah. you know, it's like the Thomas Jefferson bullshit. Um, you know, Sam Wainwright, he's not a bad guy. He's a, he's a businessman right. and he's very successful. But, you know, he comes to George's help when he needs it as well. He, you know, he's shown to be yep. a wealthy but decent um, because he's a he's a real, yeah. you know, you could quibble at this kind of politics, but like. He's a real producer. Like, like he, he has a factory that makes things. He's not just about owning shit and like extracting the surplus from like, you know, tenants and whatnot. But, but I think more broadly, like, and this, you know, to uh, the, the, by the, by the same token with uh, Harry being a war hero, uh, you know, going out to fight in war and be a war hero, that's fine. You know, what it's saying is that, uh, 
it's, it's, it's fine to go be a, you know, like, like make your fortune if that's, you know, what happens to be okay for you, what happens to work out or to go be a war hero, but it's also okay to stay in your little town and just sort of make things. And that is just as valuable and just as worthy as it, as is not being only a that, big time, you know, sort of not only that, not, not, not only that, but like. Harry the war hero and Sam Wainwright are both almost like accidental heroes. Yeah. Right. Like, like where, whereas like almost anyone could be a true citizen and, and like the, the decision to influence moving Sam Wainwright's factory back to Bedford falls, right. That helped way more people, you know? And it's like, it's like the film shows these accidental heroes as being in some way, fine but nowhere near as valorized as like the simple citizen who who understands the value of the common good and serving the people he's bound up with together you know not just his family but the actual community um and 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 and, and all it takes is like a, a simple recognition of that interdependence and, and that like idea of a good that's beyond your own you know yeah um and it takes a little bit of courage and you'll notice that like the film starts with him wanting to commit suicide because he's discouraged. And instead what you need is the kind of the courage that comes from um, being affirmed in, in what you do and what you can do as being meaningful. And that meaning takes, takes place in, in what you do in the world and how it affects others. Um, you know, I, I think the other thing is it's not a utopia in the sense that like Potter still exists in Bedford yeah. Falls and yeah. he's a, a for he's forceful and powerful and, and, and harm and creates, you know, all, so, so like the, the, the beautiful vision is still a power struggle, right? Pottersville is simply where the war is over. Like the bad guys have won and, and they've destroyed the social fabric. The, the, the good vision is still one where good has to battle evil and, you know, civic virtue and moral courage and all of the things that those relationships foster still have to be kind of, um, dynamically opposed to the forces of capitalism that would try to unravel them. And I think that's an, also an important takeaway too, is that the politics of socialism, the politics of fostering the common good, um, you don't ever achieve it. Like it's not ever done. It's, it's, it's a way of life that has a certain vision of justice. And, and that means certain people you serve, certain people you oppose. And the meaning is in, is in what you do and who you are because of what you do and who you're committed to. Um, and, and that I think is a, is a beautiful thing, right? And, and it, it yeah. doesn't mean that the person with the most, um, you know, medals of honor, or the most money is the best, but instead the community is best served, um, by being bound together and whoever helps hold it together is the most essential in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's right. And, um, yeah, this maybe, you know, is, um, to kind of cl close out the conversation here is a, is a place you could maybe argue, you know, cause it, this is definitely different from kind of the Mar Marxian dialectical approach, uh, in that Potter still exists. Like, like there, there's still like a single guy who owns like most of the businesses in the town and they're just like one scrappy upstart, uh, that, that is, you know, uh, fighting him. And so, uh, 
you know, I, I think you're right to say as a matter of like historical plausibility that you're always going to be fighting, you know, they're, they're, the, the, the great contest between egalitarianism and hierarchy is never going to end as long as, you know, human beings exist. But you could imagine a situation in which the Mr. Potters of the world get their, you know, wealth gradually expropriated, uh, uh, you know, in part or in full, uh, you know, like Norway has gone uh, three quarters of the way there. You know, if you exclude owner-occupied housing, the Norwegian state owns three quarters of all yes. of the means of production. And that, you know, so, yeah. so that's right. No, here's here's the thing, right, Ryan? This is a film about one man yeah. and one man, one man who was a true political actor. Right. Well, and, and this is in the, 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 the Arendtian sense of someone who, who, who understands action as being in the public sphere, who, who defines themselves in, in who they are in, the, in these critical moments of public action. And, and like, you can imagine that leadership inspiring others to similarly oppose Potter, right? And you can yeah. imagine this micro, this microcosm of like subject formation where people become true citizens and where that, that like orientation to the common good is something that becomes contagious so that the forces that, that, that are embodied in the, in the figure of a Potter are overcome and overthrown. And, and just like you suggest, whether it's in this, in, in certain states like Norway, uh, you can imagine a future where, where people simply don't put up with these hierarchies and these power dynamics. And they, they simply, you know, overthrow and determine for themselves a freer, better world where we live together with a mode of production that gives rise to social relations of freedom, equality, and uh, throwing off the yoke of oppression and atomized greed and profit motive. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a way of life we can not only imagine, but we can enact and fight for. And, and I really, I do think that that's a, a thing that um, we, we have to believe can be done and we should fight for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely possible. You know, I, I mean, I, I, th- I think the interesting question in terms of socialism is how much further you could go beyond where Norway has, uh, you know, sure. uh, expropriating three quarters of the means production through, you know, through some kind of gradual I mean, process. I'm, imagine if we were doing this podcast in Norway, we'd be fucking like, you know, ripping into the government and like talking about how reactionary it is. Right? Yeah. The conservatives are in charge. That's a kind of interesting, you know, uh, you could maybe chalk it up to Norway being kind of a peculiar country, but, uh, you know, Norwegian conservatives are not like American conservatives. And I think it's not a coincidence that they're starting from this gigantic high plateau of social welfare and state ownership of the means of production. And when they get in charge, they're like, well, I guess we'll privatize some of this. Um, maybe a little bit, not too much. Cause people will be fucking pissed if we cut welfare. People yes, love their welfare, right. you know? <laughs> And <laughs> yep. And you know, I mean, look what's happening. Look, look what's happening right now with the two thousand dollar check thing for the stimulus, the pandemic stimulus. You know, yeah. the, the, this this might be a, a critical critical point. We're like, wait, wait. Both parties can just like do that. They could just agree and just send us checks. Like, oh, they okay, could, yeah. let's do that. Yeah, <laughs> people love that welfare. You know, you know what I like. You know what I like is a check for two thousand dollars. <laughs> you know, like that. every month, baby. <laughs> that, 
That makes me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you can you can just do that? Yeah, oh, yes, do that. Absolutely, you can. <laughs> yeah, you you could do that for a solid year, I think, you before you'd see the slightest negative consequence. Um but anyway, uh I think that about wraps it up for me in in terms of a better world is possible, yeah. right? That's the that's a, the takeaway. Yeah, a better world. I think you know uh, this is probably a sort of you know uh, uh, unrealistic kind of shined up the you know aspects of of like a 1940s society that were that were pretty terrible. Um, Race is probably the biggest, you know, lacuna in the in It's Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. There's one one sure. black character, I think, the who's like a, a servant, like the mammy. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Nevertheless, you know, is 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 not it's not it's not like a sort of racist like caricature, like a like a sort of a birth of a nation type of treatment. Um, it just a, not even gone, not even gone with the wind. A, Come on. Yeah. Ca- casual condescension, I guess, you know, but in, in a, you know, maybe unintentionally, uh, it just at least sort of semi-friendly, you might say. But another thing I, I, uh, uh, notice as a, um, you know, a major character is uh, Martini, who's an Italian immigrant, a very caricatured mm-hmm. Italian immigrant who gets one of George sure. Bailey's homes. Um, yes. and, and it's a, you know, an explicitly, uh, you know, pro immigrant, he's got, a, he's yeah. got a million a bunch kids, of kids and a, and a yes. goat, you know, and it's like, and he ends up running, he has a bar called Martini. Yeah. yeah. And it, you know, I mean, it's very American dreamy in a way, in a way that really used to be much more true than it is today, at least that, that like, you know, you, you, if, if you could just get your feet under you in America, you know, it, it, it really was possible in a way that it isn't in a lot of other countries, you know, to sort of make a decent life for yourself. Um, and, and that, but that depends on, uh, the, the institutions being there to, to, that's the key. I think it's so important that this film says Martini didn't succeed because he was a hardworking immigrant. Right. Yep. And, and like, you know, he, do, he doesn't, you know, it, it's such a, it's such a clear um, description of people's successes and failures being institutionally and socially determined in ways that have very little to do with like individual merit or effort or anything like that. But, but more about like the ethos and the kind of um, society that we collectively create. And so, so that's why, like, it's so beautiful to say, not only are we there for each other when, when like social welfare, when some people have uh, terrible accidents that harm them and they need help, we help them. But also when some people like, uh, have these amazing successes, that's almost as accidental or is as accidental as the tragic, you know, like, like Mr. Gower, who almost went to jail for almost poisoning someone because he was so distraught that his son died that he almost like killed somebody by putting poison in the medicine. Um, and, and like, because how arbitrary is it that his, he had George Bailey of all people to work for him as a kid who was astute enough and had the courage enough to not just deliver the medicine as he was directed, right? Yeah. Like that is such an ar- arbitrary thing that basically saved this guy's life. But on the other hand, when people are successful, it's also often as arbitrary. 
you know, you know, I have I have people and students who say, you know, well, isn't it great that the secretaries of of um, you know Apple or Google at the early years uh, became millionaires and they're just administrative assistants? And like, well, that's pretty fucking arbitrary. Like, what about what about the person who applied for an admin position at the like the company next door that didn't that went out of business? Yeah, you know, it, it, in other words, like, shouldn't we treat our successes and failures as something that we're bound up together with it? And so, like, capitalism still has this arbitrariness in punishing and rewarding people that I think socialism wants to get rid of and wants to say we're in it together for the good and the bad. Let, let, let's, let's, let's spread the wealth around and, and, and share in the successes and also protect each other from the harms. And isn't that a much more beautiful, isn't that like the Christmas spirit? Right. Is, isn't the Christmas. So Merry Christmas. We haven't talked about the connection to Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. like this is a, a rent's natality, like, like new beginnings, transfer, transfiguration, transformation, um, you know, uh, the, the birth of something new, but also the ability to, to, to cleanse and, and understand how, um, miraculous life is and how, how precious it is, precious it is and how much we should value each other and be with each other and have that calm Comrade, you know, comradely spirit. Um, I'm saying comradely wrong now. I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, comradely? That's, I guess that's it. Comboo-radley? <laughs> Solidarity, baby. You know what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, so Merry Christmas, everyone. We should we should raise our drinks to each other and be there for each other and and realize that we're bound up together. That's all. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I think you know if you if if you strip away the dross um and and you you know you, you look hard at the history of innovation and technology and you know human motivation you see that um you know we can run this great technological cornucopia without having to give so much of the proceeds to like 10 guys uh, and they are right. almost all guys uh like Jeff Bezos like Elon Musk mm-hmm. Like, uh, uh, the Coke surviving Coke brothers, um, saying that, that, uh, you know, uh, you people who don't even really understand your gigantic enterprises in any sort of systematic fashion, you're necessary to the functioning of this system. No, no, you're not. Uh, we can, we can break these businesses up into many pieces, and or take them into state ownership, you know, as the case may be, and they'll work just fine. You know, the, the, you know, the Norwegian state is running all of these things. Uh, 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 so many, like a huge oil company, uh, the, the biggest bank, the biggest telecom in Norway. Um, it's hard to imagine that, that even the U S government could, could run, like Comcast and JP Morgan Chase any worse than the current owners of it today. You know, <laughs> shit, I could do that by myself. Just stop uh doing uh money laundering for drug cartels and terrorists. <laughs> that's that's what we call a yep. Christmas bonus right there. Um <laughs> and yeah, so so you know, just just basically that 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 like the the moral underpinning of the current utterly shitty shitty hierarchical society that we live in which which is just you know the 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 latest uh news today uh the last couple of days is that 400,000 people have died 
this this since the pandemic started. Um, that's more than unnecessarily. Yeah, unnecessarily excess deaths over what would have happened. Um, and and that is more than World War II casualties in the United States, which were you know comparatively modest, you know compared to like Russia or or well or Germany um, or you know a number of other countries. But still, you know, I mean this this is going to be the worst mass casualty event since the influenza pandemic. Um, and uh, it it really isn't you know. The the way that the let's just say Pottersville Pottersville they would not fucking wear masks right yes and, and Bedford Falls Bedford Falls they would wear masks absolutely yeah that that's that's precisely what I was was what I was inexpertly you know grasping towards is that yeah I mean and just more broadly that like that many people could die and no one would give a shit or that like yes, I mean that's b- right people yeah. do care. But like the society is not caring in any specific way. Trump doesn't give a shit. And therefore the action is not being taken. It's not being prevented. Right. I mean, they were deliberately trying to infect the people. I mean, this is the president and therefore 40% of the population. And, and uh, if, if, you know, I'm convinced that all else aside, all the other fucking horrible shit that is in American history, if, we had the egalitarian income distribution of the 1970s and, you know, the strong unions of the 1970s and uh, the strong regulations of the 1970s. Trump never would have been president. And uh, the U- the United States response to the covid pandemic would have been uh, orders of magnitude better than it has been. Maybe not perfect. That's right. Uh, there's, there's much room even in those circumstances for, or for a better response, but, uh, not the worst in the world, not an abject international humiliation. And no, that's right. So that, you know, Uh, you know, look, the, the failures are not just the administration, um, that Trump was in charge of, although that was a big part of it. It's not just the various governors and mayors, although they were part of it. Uh, but it, it is also, um, capitalism, neoliberalism, and and the ethos that has been uh, permeating our lives and informing us as people. Because if we truly were like George Bailey, if we truly felt like George Bailey had just almost committed suicide and, and he was rescued because he saved somebody's life and that rescued his life, but like even early on when when he's you know talking to Clarence the Angel, he's like are you okay? I'm worried about you. Yeah. Right. Like, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, and, and if you just, if, if we just, and, and it's a chicken and the egg thing. Cause, cause as we just said, like the structures and the society forms, forms you to a degree, forms us to a degree. But if we were the kind of people who were like that, we would not put up with these laws, these structures, these politicians, we would act. And, and that's what you love is action. And that's what George Bailey shows is that he shows his love to people through his actions, through his courage, through his fighting for justice. And I feel like it's a chicken and the egg thing. You know, Rousseau's paradox is how do you create a democratic people? Um, you know, how do you create democratic institutions from an undemocratic people, right? It's a chicken and the egg thing, right? Because the institutions pr- produce the people, but we have to do it. We have to do it, yeah. right? We have to be, we have to be the agents that, that, that undo the structures that form people in this perverse and, and, and dark way. 
Uh, and that's the miracle that Christmas could offer, the idea of transfiguration, of transformation, um, of being born anew. This is Arendt's idea of natality, that, that uh, with new generations, literally new people coming into the world, but also every moment, action is something to, to begin. The Greek is uh, it, it, to act in, in ancient Greek means to begin something anew, right? Um, we can begin anew and, and we should do it together because uh, that's where the good life and a wonderful life is, is waiting in, in that, in that new initiative born through a vision for, um, serving each other through love and commitment, uh, instead of, of greed and avarice and, um, and kind of the, the, the dark, sick world of Pottersville. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, and that I think is why it's a wonderful life is worth watching today, you know, be, because, Unlike many attempted democracies, uh, we actually have a very rich democratic tradition, however flawed it may be, to draw on, um, and a, and a rich heritage of art, uh, and you know, uh, even I mean, one, right. literally one of the most popular movies in in the history of the United States to to yes. to, to, to draw on, to draw upon, um, and many many heroes in our national pantheon who, you know, as flawed as they may be and incomplete are still on that's our right. side. And, um, yes, that's, that's, that's why I, I say, you know, Merry, Merry Christmas folks. And, uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, and, and happy holidays. Um, uh, bless you, whether you're an atheist, agnostic, Christian, Muslim of any faith, Wicca, whatever it may be. Um, <laughs> we, 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 we at, we at Left Anchor wish you peace and joy and healing and solidarity. And, and uh, we're here for all of you. Let us know how we can serve and help you because uh, we believe in each other. We believe in you. And, and I love you, Coops. And, and I know that uh, we're doing the best we can. I hope you're all doing the best you, you all can to take care of yourselves and of each other. Because uh, at the end of the day, that's where it starts and that's, that's where it ends is, is just um, being good to yourselves and each other and, and seeing what we can do anew. Back at you, man. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great holiday and uh, have a great, you know, Christmas feast, hopefully, of some description. And we'll see you in the next episode.